0: Guys, get to Mass on Thursday, the Assumption. You will give honor to the Blessed Virgin Mary. You will give glory and praise to God. And it's a holy day of obligation, so you will avoid the fires of hell. Go to Mass.
1: You've reached the CNA Newsroom. CNA Newsroom. CNA Newsroom. CNA
2: Newsroom. newsroom.
1: Welcome to CNA Newsroom. Hey, everybody. You're listening to CNA Newsroom
0: the podcast that brings you the people behind the headlines each week. I'm your host and CNA's editor-in-chief, J.D. Flynn. On the program this week, we want to talk about the Feast of the Assumption of Mary, which is this Thursday, August the 15th. It's a holy day of obligation. And Pope Pius XII declared the Assumption to be a dogma of the church only in 1950. Our producer, Jonah McEwen dug into the history and theology
1: of the Assumption. Here's Jonah. This Thursday, August 15th, the Church celebrates the Feast of the Assumption of Mary. The Catholic Church teaches that having completed the course of her earthly life, Mary was assumed, body and soul, into heavenly glory. In the history of the Church, what we can see as well is a deepening
3: understanding of that fact. And we can see in the history of the Church that there was this great curiosity, about her passing, and what happened after that.
1: This is Dr. Matthew Bunsen, senior contributor for EWTN News. The Assumption is one of the four Marian dogmas of the church, and although it was only relatively recently that the church formally defined it, Dr. Bunsen said numerous saints, popes, and theologians have held this belief for centuries. There
3: was, from apostolic times, the the firm belief that There was no relic, there was no body of the Blessed Mother. And we see that from the fact that the Christendom itself never venerated a grave or a tomb in in that specific sense of that people went there to venerate the body. When we look at it that way, we can see that there was that obvious knowledge that, no, in fact, there was nothing to be derived from the tomb.
1: It wasn't until 1950 that Venerable Pius XII officially defined the Assumption as a dogma of the Church.
4: The definition of a doctrine doesn't make it more true. So, for example, in 1949, the doctrine of the Assumption was just as true as in 1950 when it was defined.
1: This is Dr. Mark Miraval. He's a Mariologist. Yep, you can specialize in the study of Mary. And he holds the St. John Paul II Chair of Mariology at Franciscan University of Steubenville, where he's been teaching for several decades.
4: The definition is for us. It helps us to greater appreciate this essential truth for our faith. It's almost like the Holy Father using a papal highlighter, a yellow highlighter, saying this is something that the faithful really must pay attention to. This is something really essential and, and, and profoundly important for the faith.
1: The timing of Pius XII's decision to define this dogma is interesting, considering the fact that he asked the bishops of the world to begin considering it just one year after the end of World War II.
3: At a time when we had the Soviet Union such a formal threat to the world, at a time when the world more than ever needed to deepen its
1: understanding
3: again of Mary, but also then of her son, that I think he saw this as the time really to contemplate this.
1: More on that front later.
5: The church always believed it. It's not something that the Pope, as it were, invented then in 1950.
1: This is Father Paul Hafner. He's also a Mariologist and a professor of theology at the Gregorian University in Rome. He said the doctrine of the Assumption goes all the way back to the early church, to the very first Christians. And it was a commonly held belief in both the West and the East. But in the East, the assumption is frequently known by a different name, the Dormition.
5: It's a very ancient tradition, and the Greeks hold that Our Lady went to sleep. That's their way of saying she went to sleep and then was immediately assumed, or sometimes they say after three days.
1: The three days is a mirror of Christ's resurrection. But Father Hafner said that's a pious tradition, not dogma.
4: The Western and Latin concept of the Assumption leaves that question open.
1: There were actually two groups of theologians who disagreed on this exact point in the months before the Assumption was declared dogma. The mortalists held that Mary had a separation of soul and body before her final entrance into heaven. And the immortalists held Mary did not have a separation of soul and body and went straight into heaven from her earthly life.
4: Pius XII, with the fullness of his papal authority, declared absolutely nothing on this issue because he was instructed by theologians that it it was not an essential part of the dogma.
1: So, what is essential?
5: Her body was never subject to corruption as our bodies are. Death had no hold over her.
1: Tradition and archaeology suggest Mary's life came to an end in Jerusalem. And there's actually a site in Jerusalem that's revered as the tomb of Mary.
5: That tomb is only a tomb in inverted commas. It's not a tomb which has Our Lady inside. It's a tomb which shows Our Lady's passing from this world to the next.
1: Dr. Marivall said it's never been part of Christian tradition that Mary was permanently buried in that tomb. Dr. Bunsen agreed. Now what makes that interesting is that we're seeing
3: from that this idea that yes she died but we always have to go back to the fact that there was nothing
1: in the tomb. As we mentioned, the Assumption is one of the four Marian dogmas. The other three are Mary's Immaculate Conception, her perpetual virginity, and her role as the Mother of God. And what's neat is that the Assumption is linked to each of the other three.
4: Pius XII, in his document, Munificentissimus Deus, essentially says that the Assumption is the natural effect of the Immaculate Conception. Again, the body expresses the person. So Mary's Bodily assumption is expressing her perfect
5: interior purity and being full of grace. Since she was conceived immaculately, she couldn't experience the consequences of original sin, which include death. So she doesn't experience those consequences.
1: Father Hafner said Mary's assumption is also linked to her perpetual
5: virginity. Since she gave birth to Christ, in a virginal way, that is, she was a virgin before, uh, during, and after the birth of Christ. Therefore, the earth couldn't hold her, that she couldn't experience any corruption. But that, too, also is connected uh, to the mystery of the redemption. The whole mystery of Mary is intimately linked to the mystery of Christ.
1: That's why the Assumption is pretty similar to the Ascension, but with some key differences. Christ ascended by his own power whereas Mary was assumed by the power of Christ. So it means that
3: even then, even in death, uh, she was obedient, but this is something that she could not effect on her own. And I think that's one of the lessons uh, for us today, as we look to Mary as our role model in life and as how we ourselves as believers come to face death.
4: It is typical in our faith that what is first true of Jesus is secondarily true of our lady and in a tierce here he says it's true about us so for example we have the ascension of jesus we have the assumption of mary and then we have the expectation and the promise of the final resurrection of our bodies on the last day so to use the theology of the body you know the body expresses the person and in each of these three ways you see the divinity of jesus you see the immaculate nature of our lady but you also see the hope and promise of our ultimate bodily victory in our resurrections of the body in the last day as well.
1: Remember how we talked about the timing of Pius XII's definition of the dogma earlier? Father Hafner said the hope of the assumption is perhaps another part of the reason it was defined as a dogma so recently, in the 20th century.
5: It was not, I think, because of lack of a belief in the doctrine that Pius XII defined it, but it could be a providential signal to the 20th century world and later of the importance of the human body. Our Lady's assumed body and soul, it says the doctrine. So the human body has got a very great value. That is in contrast to the fact that in the 20th century, there was great desecration of the human body. If you think of all those people who were killed in gulags and concentration camps, Then also the threats posed by abortion and euthanasia to the dignity of the human person, body and soul. The real meaning of the human body, as St. John Paul uh, would have put it, was threatened, attacked in the 20th century. And maybe the Lord wanted us to have this dogma clarified and exposed and explained in that part of the 20th century to remind us of the dignity of the human person and a dignity which is eternal. It doesn't stop here on Earth, but looks forward to the life of the world to come.
4: It's a victory day for her, and it's a victory day for the Church. This is the day that Mary, in the expression of her body, manifests the victory of her heart, uh, her, her perfect purity, her fullness of grace. And that's why it's a hope for us as well, that as we struggle today with, uh, in, in, in pandemic forms with things like pornography and temperance, it's Our Lady who will give us both the grace and the witness to strive for mastery of our bodies. Because mastery for our bodies is so important for the purity of our hearts.
1: All the Marian doctrines are meant to point us back to Jesus in some way. It's fitting then, Dr. Bunsen concluded, that the assumption is a holy day of obligation when the Catholic faithful are obliged to attend Mass.
3: She stood at the foot of the cross, but her gaze was always upward toward her son in exactly the same way that we should be, gazing uh, at her son. So if we are then to always maintain our gaze upon her son, recognizing that Mary is our role model for that, then what is truly more fitting? Uh, on the feast of the solemnity of the assumption that we should once again turn to her son and how do we do that we do that by going to mass we do that by focusing on her son on the eucharist
1: for cna newsroom i'm jonah mckeon we'll be right back Friends, listeners, Twitter fans of Carl Bunderson. this is Carl's best work friend, Peter Zelasco. I'm the social media manager and arbiter of all food arguments at CNA. What can I say? My opinions on food are always correct. If you enjoy CNA Newsroom, in your car, during lunch, or on the run, be sure and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. And then force your friends to do it as well. Seriously, come on, invite them subscribing is easy and free on any podcast app like apple podcasts soundcloud stitcher spotify iHeartRadio, and more just open the podcast app on your phone then search for cna newsroom click on the subscribe button that way you'll get our podcasts as soon as we post them now back to the show i'm gonna go have some pie
0: mary and joseph are having breakfast one morning and um Joseph's reading the paper and Mary's making coffee, or probably maybe tea, I, I don't know, and, and she says, you know, Joseph, I was praying this morning, because Mary got up pretty early to pray, and I was praying this morning and I just have this sense that I'm, at the end of my life, gonna be taken up into heaven, body and soul, at the same time. And Joseph puts down the paper and he says, well, Mary, it's a pretty big assumption. <laughs> The assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary is not actually about assuming things like making a presumption or just suspecting that something is true. Um, It's about Mary being taken up body and soul into heaven at the end of her life. But we did want to talk about assumptions that people make about Mary. And Ann Barber is the person we want to talk about. Ann Barber lives on a farm in Parrish, Florida. And until very recently, Ann made a lot of assumptions about Mary. Our producer, Kate Veik, has the story.
2: Anne Barber's home is filled with images of the Blessed Virgin Mary. She has two small prayer areas, one in her living room and one in her bedroom, with a statue of Mary, some candles, and a rosary. And in front of her house sits a four-foot-tall concrete statue of Our Lady, hand-painted by Anne herself. Today, Anne is completely unapologetic about her devotion to the Virgin Mary. In fact, she boasts about it. But that wasn't the case just a few years ago. Because just a few years ago, Anne was Protestant, and she was the pastor of her own church. Anne's story is a story of a woman of great faith coming to know another woman of great faith, the Mother of God. And that meeting would change the course of Anne's life forever. Anne and her husband, Robert, moved to Northwestern Florida in 1995. And for the first several years, Anne remembers hopping from church to church, trying to figure out where she wanted to worship. Until some friends suggested they start their own church. I was already ordained, and I had some friends who were willing to help found a church.
6: And so we just got a little group together and started a church.
2: Anne was working full-time as a lawyer, but she quit her job to found and pastor My Father's House, an evangelical church. She built a chapel on her farm. And over the years, Anne's church grew to include some 50 or 60 people. Anne said she had a respect for Mary during that time, but she didn't agree with Catholic teaching about Mary. I believed she was the
6: virgin mother of Jesus Christ, but I also believed that she had a number of other children with Joseph. That's what I believed at that point in time, that she was his mother. She was a mother. That's all I believed.
2: There was a woman who, for about 10 years, had come to help Anne and her husband on the farm. And she is
6: a devout
2: Catholic. Her name is Gloria. Gloria and Anne would talk about everything. And sometimes their conversations naturally turned toward matters of faith. And I remember a
6: conversation with her about Mary. And I told her where in the Bible it said that Mary had other children. And her response was simply, oh, no, Pastor Anne, Mary did not have any more children. And then she went on to explain to me the Catholic's um, uh, theology on that. And I thought, well, the lady's a Catholic. I'm not going to, to bother her um, beliefs. But she also gave me rosaries. And that's where my story started.
2: Anne said she liked the rosaries as jewelry. She hung one in her car... She hung some in her house. And if she was driving and there was particularly bad or difficult traffic, Anne would sometimes grab a hold of the rosary. But she used it to pray to Jesus and not pray for Mary's intercession.
6: Then one day, for some reason, um, I don't know whether I was troubled about something, I can't remember. I took a rosary, sat on my front porch. It was after dark. I lit candles and I read this little brochure um, how to pray the rosary Boy, I didn't make it past
2: the first three prayers before I was crying my eyes out she made her way through the entire rosary that night
6: but the very first time I prayed the words um, Holy Mary Mother of God now I could never have said those words before but I prayed them and I felt like somebody was standing near me motherly and i said at that moment well mary i sure could use a mother and i clearly heard in the spirit the words i chose you from that point on i um started paying attention to the catholic faith
2: anne bought a catechism and she read the entire thing and And didn't find anything I
6: objected to. And I said, what's all the fuss about?
2: Then she started watching EWTN. She ordered a couple books by Mother Angelica and ordered a painting of Mary holding the baby Jesus and a lamb. Anne says she had a mystical experience with that painting. And she told herself, I either need a psychiatrist or I need to see a priest. She chose the latter. Anne drove to the nearest Catholic church, St. Francis Cabrini, to meet with the pastor. But I stopped first at the, um, the secretary's office and, she's,
6: and I asked about RCIA classes that someone had told me about to learn more about the faith. And she recognized me and she said, you want to take these classes?
2: Anne was recognizable because she regularly contributed as a Protestant pastor to a faith and values column in a local newspaper. I said, yeah, I think I have to. <laughs> and, and then it just progressed from there. For Anne, a conversion to Catholicism had consequences. So I kept it a secret. But she did start to wear a crucifix and then a miraculous medal that she would rotate around to hang on her back under her shirt before she went into her church. Then she replaced the Bibles in her pews with New American Bibles. Nobody complained. Then, Anne bought that four-foot-tall concrete statue of Mary. She hid the statue in her carport at first. But after a couple of months, Anne moved the statue out in front of her house. They saw it immediately, and now
6: it was over.
2: Remember, Anne's church was on her property. And sometimes people would walk right past Anne's house to get to the chapel.
6: I had brought a a dreaded idol on the property. They always knew I was becoming Catholic and now they were sure. And, And little by little they left. Someone even said, well, you could put a black bag over her on and I'm like, oh, are you kidding me? And by that point, I was so in love with Mary, there was no way I was gonna get rid of that statue or put a black bag over her. From the minute she talked to me on the front porch, I, I knew that, this, that she had gotten a hold of me. When people started leaving the church, um, it was sad but it was inevitable. And I knew that from the beginning. I couldn't be Catholic and Protestant at the same time.
2: Anne resigned as pastor of her church, and she was baptized into the Catholic Church in October of 2017, on the Feast of Our Lady of the Rosary. Today? Well, I have
6: every picture of Mary that you can imagine all over the house. I have statues of Mary out in my art studio, and I paint them continuously and give them away. I joined the Legion of Mary.
2: And Anne hopes to someday make a pilgrimage to a Marian shrine. Mary
6: is my passion. As my catechist said, She, I have a devotion to Mary.
2: Anne's conversion to Catholicism did put a strain on her marriage. Her husband, Robert, is a Lutheran pastor. But Anne says she prays for Mary's intercession for Robert and for their marriage. To other Catholics struggling with their own relationship with Mary, Anne had one piece of advice.
6: Well, I would say sit down and ask, because that's what I did. I I mean, I asked. I invited her. I said, "Um, Mary, I could really use a mother. I spoke directly to her and And she responded. And I don't see why she wouldn't respond if people had a conversation with her.
2: Um, and, and, And I keep asking. For CNA Newsroom, I'm Kate Bike.
0: That's it for this week's episode of CNA Newsroom. Thanks for listening. And guys, get to mass on Thursday, The Assumption. You will give honor to the Blessed Virgin Mary. You will give glory and praise to God. And it's a holy day of obligation so you will avoid the fires of hell. Go to Mass. CNA Newsroom is a production of Catholic News Agency, a service of EWTN News. I'm your host and CNA's editor-in-chief, J.D. Flynn. We're produced and edited by Kate Vike and Jonah McKeown, our executive producer is Kate Vike. Special thanks this week to the Coming Home Network, to Ann Barber for sharing her story with us, and of course to the Mariologists from our first segment. I assume we'll
4: see you next week.